Introduction, Experiencing God. The thrust of this book is that the main thing in life is not to get to know God, but rather to experience him. The verse that best fits is when David said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good in Psalms 34. Key to this is to make God the focal point of all our love to the point that everything else fades. His point is we should be walking in an intimate love relationship with God where we fellowship with him in a two-way relationship. We place God first above everything else. In in fact, we die to everything other than God's will, becoming God-centered as opposed to self-centered. We don't ask what Henry implies is the wrong question, what is God's will for my life? But rather we ask, what is God's will? It's about God and not about us, and we clearly understand that. The prerequisite for this book is that the individual reading it has been saved. That is, they've acknowledged Jesus as Lord of their life and believe Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected. What's in it for you? So you read these briefs, you will learn how to grow closer to God and better serve him. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. He said in Exodus 19 and 6 to Moses, and this is still God's intention today, that all the people of the world would know him. And God is still working to bring the world into relationship with him today. What are signs that God is at work around you? When you see people that are hungry and thirsty for God, you know he is at work. It's God that takes the initiative to draw people to himself. Jesus is the model for how we should be living. Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. You can act on this. Look for where people are spiritually hungry, are thirsty around you. Ask God to open your spiritual eyes and ears. Partner with God in the work based on what he reveals and asks of you. An inner city church in California was about to shut their doors and close up after years of decline. They studied experiencing God and decided it couldn't hurt to see if they could see what God was doing in their area before closing. No sooner did they adopt this posture than an apartment manager approached them. There were children in the apartment that needed after-school activities. He offered them space if the church would provide the activities. The church filled this need. As the church looked around further in their neighborhood, they noticed there were drug addicts and gang members. They started ministries to serve these areas and brought great numbers of people to faith. Needless to say, the church did not shut down, but rather was invigorated. The keys are to be striving for a love relationship with God and to die to your own desires. When you get to this point, it's much easier to see what God is doing and what he requires of you. You can then partner with God in the work and learn more about his ways and character because you will have had an experience with God. Brief two, God wants a love relationship with you. How can you summarize the Old Testament and much of the New? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This was said in Deuteronomy, and Jesus said the same thing in Matthew. And God proved this by giving Jesus at the cross for you. This is what we should be seeking at every turn. When we pray, when we read the Bible, and when we serve, it should be about loving God. In the beginning, God walked with Adam and Eve in intimate fellowship in the garden. In Revelation, we are told we will see his face. From beginning to end, it's all about establishing a love relationship with God. And he already initiated reaching out to you by giving Jesus at the cross. Solomon was driven to ask God for a wise and discerning heart. 
because of his love for the people. Hagar was seen by God and her needs and those of her child were met out of his love for her. The 12 disciples had a personal love relationship with Jesus. And you were created to love God with all your being. And this should be the focus of your devotional time, indeed of your life. A student on campus who was heading to take her life was approached by another student and practically forced to attend an Experiencing God Bible study. They were studying the love relationship God desires. She felt the overwhelming love of God during that Bible study and gave herself to Christ that night rather than taking her life. An alcoholic who had neglected his wife and children found Christ. He began to bring people to Bible study with him. Then that group got so large it split in two and he led both groups. Then he bought a house and led all of his neighbors to Christ. They attended his church. Today, he's on the pastoral staff of his church of 12,000 and rejoices that God never gave up on him. Jesus said, the one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. In John 14 and 21, it was God's love for the Hebrew people that caused him to get them out of slavery and bring them into a good land. Three, three, God invites you to partner with him. Just as Jesus kept his eye on his father to see what he was doing, so we must keep our eyes on God and what he is doing. It is all about God. Blackaby became the pastor of a small Canadian church. He'd barely arrived when a couple of folks drove in from a more distant part of Canada, letting know they felt he was sent to help them with their church as well. The only problem? It was 90 miles away, and his new church could barely pay a salary as it was. And this would give him two churches to pastor as opposed to only one. But he accepted the challenge because he could see God was at work in it. God had called him to plant churches in Canada. And on his very first day, God called him to work with his first church plant. He did it faithfully two times per week for two years. He did it because he could see it was God's will in this situation. Eventually, another minister came, but Blackaby would go on to plant many churches in Canada, more than 35 in time. David is a biblical example of a God-centered life. When every other Israeli soldier saw a nine-and-a-half-foot giant who couldn't be beat, David saw a God who couldn't be beat. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He said that in 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. By looking at God, David was able to do what others saw as impossible. So it was with Joshua and Caleb as well. They saw the same thing physically the other ten spies saw, but spiritually they saw something else. They saw that God was with them and they knew something about him. They knew he never fails as nothing is impossible with God. The other ten saw giants in the land. Yes, they saw giant provisions, but they saw in the natural human enemies that were too great to overcome. They had a self-centered view and not a God-centered view. Moses came to know God, and a scraggly band of men, women, and children watched God destroy the greatest, best-trained, most sophisticated army of its day while they walked on in peace and safety across the Red Sea. He saw that God was working towards the goal he had tried to achieve earlier in life and joined God in the work. Elijah had to pray for his servant's eyes to be spiritually open 
so he could see what God was up to. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Second Kings, the sixth chapter. When you look at what God is doing in your area, what do you see? Have you asked God to open your eyes so you can see spiritually what he's doing? Where is he working and inviting you to join him? Brief four, God speaks. Whoever heard of a love relationship where one person does all the talking? We serve a living God and he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. In John the 10th chapter, Moses heard God speak from a burning bush. Now, nowhere else in the Bible do we see this. This is because God speaks to each of us in different ways, because he made each of us differently. He spoke to David regularly, directing him how and when to fight and what strategies to use in battle. He spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. He gave Samuel detailed instructions on where to go to anoint the first king of Israel, Saul. And then he spoke to him again to direct him to anoint the second king of Israel, David. How do you think Peter knew what to do when he brought Dorcas back to life from the dead. The first thing he did was he got down on his knees and he prayed. God directed him on what to do from there. How did Elijah defeat the Baal and Ashtoreth worshipers? Clearly, God directed him what to do. And Elijah simply spoke what God had already told him. God speaks in many different ways today. He may speak through the Holy Spirit or prayer. This was how he spoke to Peter when he directed him to go to Cornelius' house. And the way he spoke to Cornelius to tell him to send for Peter. And this was the first Gentile to receive the Holy Spirit and the forerunner for us. He may speak through the church. See what Paul wrote about the church? Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. This suggests the church can provide guidance to other parts of the body to tell them what God is saying in many cases. Recall in the word they were gathered together in the church at Antioch when the Holy Spirit told them, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Acts, the 13th chapter. A Laotian man who joined the church in Canada led 13 people to Christ his first week, 11 the second week. The church supported him in setting up a Canadian Laotian church and in an odyssey across America, where he and friends established a Laotian church in every city they stopped in. He then went back to Laos and brought 133 friends and family members to know Christ. He built four churches in Laos and linked them up to the Canadian Laotian church he started originally. God may also speak through the Bible. Robert and Gail, husband and wife, were trying to come into agreement about what God was doing and what they should do as a result. Her husband, who was a successful dentist, felt they should go on a mission. His wife was more hesitant. They had a comfortable, nice life. One day, however, she was reading her Bible where Jesus had to leave his hometown. At that moment, she knew what they had to do. So they sold their house at a loss and moved to New York. While there, they got a chance to serve on an Indian reservation where her husband could provide dental services and they could share the gospel with thousands of Native Americans.
God may speak through circumstances. One believer was at a Walmart store in Oklahoma City. He overheard the cashier on the phone talking to someone about wanting to sell a truck. The seller needed the money to help her support her new baby as a single mom. Another lady had been going through a trial after a fire taking the life of one of her children. No one was standing with her, and she was being made out to be a horrible mother. The car her aunt had given her was taken back, so she, also a single mother, needed transportation to get to work. The person hearing this had exactly the right amount in his account to buy the truck, and so he did. This helped both women to get the answers they needed from God working through uh, this young man and speaking to him. In any case, God's speaking will align with the Bible. It is necessary that the believer have an intimate, loving relationship with God and that you have died to your own will so that it's only God's will you want. You also need to ensure you have no unconfessed sin in your life. It's helpful to keep in mind that God confirms his word when you are unsure of what he said by the testimony of two or three is a thing confirmed, he said in Second Corinthians. Brief five, God sparks a crisis. This is the decision point. You are brought to a crossroad and it becomes a test of your faith. The word crisis originates from crisis, the Greek word meaning decision. You have to decide who God is. Is he really able? Is he willing? What did he direct you to do? Will you do it? This is the test of your faith. The writer of Hebrews said, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who would come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. An example is how a church budgets. Blackaby's church had to decide if they would have a faith budget or if they would operate as most individuals and churches operate based on the resources they had available. They established a three-part budget that was based, first of all, on what God was wanting them to do. This came out of the collective prayer of the church, and they needed to be sure about it. They didn't try to do God's dreaming for him, but rather prayed and sought to understand what God's will was. Then they would establish the budget based on what God was asking them to do. And there were three parts to it. First, what resources they had on hand. Second, what pledge resources they have. And third, what they estimated they would need as a difference between those two to accomplish what God was asking them to do. You might call this part the faith budget. The big question was, how would they then operate? Would they operate based on the total of all three or just the first two or even just number one? They chose to operate based on the total budget and went forth to accomplish what they sensed God was asking them to do. They did receive actually more funds than the sum total of all three categories, enabling them to carry out God's work as he had revealed it to them. God's assignments are God-sized. He's not looking for you to do it based on your ingenuity, your resources, or skills, but on his. Moses had no way to lead the Hebrews out of Israel on his own. He couldn't have produced the plagues that convinced Pharaoh to let the people go. He couldn't have parted the sea or brought forth water from the rock. Nor could he rain down manna from heaven to feed them. These were things only God could do. It was the same for Joshua. He needed God to part the Jordan so that the Hebrews could cross into the promised land. He needed God to knock down the walls of Jericho. He needed God to fight the battles for the Hebrews against the alliances of kings that had far greater resources than Joshua did in the natural. It's not about us.
It's about God, and He will make it happen through you. In the process, you'll learn more about Him, who He is, and how He operates. You will learn His character and His ways. And this is what He wants you to learn. Brief six, God requires you to adjust. In James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, we read this. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The second part of this process is that what God is asking of you will require you to make a change. You will have to give something up. Moses had to leave his new home of 40 years in Midian to confront Pharaoh in Egypt. Abram had to leave his home and what he knew. David had to leave an army, something he had no experience doing before. As mentioned later in James, Abraham had to put Isaac on the altar and offer to sacrifice him. Esther had to seek an audience with the king, even though it could have resulted in her death. This was what was required to, pre- to preserve the Israelites as a people. Samuel had to go and anoint David as king, even though the current king wouldn't have been very happy about that at all. Jesus had to go to the cross, even though it cost him everything for us to have the opportunity. Mary had to accept the scorn and shame of others when she was made pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph had to do the same and follow the leadings of the Holy Spirit to preserve the family, taking them to Egypt, to Galilee, and finally to Nazareth, a town of little repute, in order to be in step with God and preserve the life of Jesus. So it will be for us. We will have to give something up, leave something behind, and make a change of some sort. It won't be comfortable, but it will be God-honoring. For us, this is a daily requirement, not a one and done. We have to die daily, as Paul suggested, take up our cross, and follow God day by day as He reveals. Brief 7. You obey and partner with God. Ultimately, we have to obey what God reveals to us He wants us to do. It is the obedience that serves as the real proof of our faith. What would have happened if Jesus hadn't gone to the cross in obedience to the Father? What would have happened had Moses stayed in the desert? Would Israel have been as blessed and prospered as much if David had said, forget this, I'm going back to being a shepherd. The reward for obeying God is that you get a greater understanding of who he is. He takes you to that next level of understanding. Moses got to see God as the I am God, the God who is always enough. He experienced God as I am. David experienced God as the giver of victory, even in situations that looked hopeless, such as his battle against Goliath, are his retrieval of all his and his men's property when what was seized, that was seized as Ziklag. Esther experienced God as the deliverer of her people when she summoned her courage and went in to see the king. Joshua experienced God when he fought the five-king alliance and God stopped time for a day to allow him to defeat them and rain down hailstones from heaven that killed more of the enemy than Joshua's own men did. It is the same for us. God will speak. He will make clear his purposes. He will issue an invitation to us to join him in his work. And when we accept, we will experience him 
and learn more about him growing in faith and knowledge of God and his ways. Final summary. Ultimately, our walk with God is all about his glory. It is not all about us. Paul wrote, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Working through this process for every assignment God gives us will lead to us knowing God's purpose, his will, and to us having experience with him. It does come with a cost. We must die to self, place God's priorities high above our own, and take on God-sized assignments that are beyond our abilities to do. Consider Gideon. He was asked to take 300 men and beat the Midianite army of more than 100,000. This was a completely impossible undertaking from a human point of view. God took a man who had been cowering in his basement, showed this man what he was working on, which was delivering Israel from the Midianites, and invited him to join in the work. He revealed more of who he was to Gideon. Gideon learned a lot about God in this encounter and joined God in the work, successfully allowing God's ways to take precedence over his own ideas and thoughts. The result was God did deliver the Israelites from their oppressors. What God-sized assignment does God have for you? Will you take it on and experience God as Gideon did? Hi, thank you for listening to this brief. We have plenty more at christianbrief.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-B-R-I-E-F.com. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And hope you check out some of the other briefs at christianbrief.com.